0: You're listening to episode 69 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for birds on the black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and we have absolutely no idea what's going on anywhere. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show, which should have been the last show before the opening day eve show. Instead, it's basically the first show of the nationwide lockdown, thanks to the coronavirus ruining every baseball countdown everywhere, as well as a lot of other, probably more serious things. But Alex, first things first, were you able to collect enough toilet paper to survive the apocalypse?
1: I, 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 (laughs) yes, I, I didn't make an effort to collect any toilet paper Mm. because I I'm not under the impression that there's going to be any sort of shortage here in DC of that (laughs) stuff, although uh, maybe a week from now, that will look silly. I don't know.
0: We keep getting completely different versions of what life looks like about every 15 minutes for the last week or so. And of course, the last week has changed dramatically. Since we talked last on this podcast, Alex, we were talking about the possibility sort of as a maybe in the future worst case scenario of baseball being played without fans for a while. And that was the morning of the show release. The night the show was released last week, basically all hell broke loose and life as we know it came to a screeching halt. Uh, So no sports, no real entertainment as far as large gatherings, um, hordes of People at grocery stores and all sorts of craziness with people trying to avoid, well, trying to help everyone else avoid complete disaster. Alex, what have you been doing without sports this week as someone with a sports podcast?
1: <laughs> well, I, I've been doing the best I can to work from home, I've been trying to follow the news and encourage all my friends and relatives to stay at home. Some are less inclined to <laughs> need that advice than others. Uh, most of those people from that group seem to be from a certain generation, no matter their political persuasion. It seems to be right, a yeah. certain uh, generation, like my parents' age, of people who just uh, don't want to quite cooperate with, with all this. But yeah, there's... Uh, I'm not an expert on this, so this is a thing where I listen to the experts and all the experts say just stay inside unless you absolutely need to go outside. So that's what I've been doing. Uh, Getting some fresh air, you know, when I can.
0: Yeah,
1: Uh, Yeah. I've gone on a few runs. I've, you know, I take my kids outside to to play outside and stuff like that. But (laughs) it's only been... Well, a couple of days, and it feels like an eternity. It really uh, does. Now I guess we'll slowly like kind of get into a groove and get used to it. So each day won't start feeling like, uh, you know, an entire month. But man, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, this is going to be, uh, this is, this is going to be an annoying time uh a bad time but i guess a very necessary time because like i said all the experts are saying stay indoors and that's enough for me stay indoors and you know last week when i talked i said something to the effect that when we talked about this i said like i don't know if i was trying to be funny or just being whatever whatever i was trying to do i was like well you know tara I, first things first i as a, as of right now i do not have the coronavirus uh, well i think yeah. one thing i've learned in the last week is maybe i do uh <laughs> we really don't know yeah, <laughs> yeah especially uh You know, people our age, we could easily have it and and not really have many symptoms, if any symptoms at all. I I believe so. Four New Jersey New Jersey Nets. Oh my gosh! Uh, Four Brooklyn. It came out today that four Brooklyn Nets have it. Yeah. I also saw a statistic that basically uh, they've done 122 tests in Washington D.C. as of this morning, and I believe about 20 percent of them had tested positive for it. Now, that might be a bit of a skewed sample because, you know, as we know, tests are limited to begin with, and they're probably only giving tests to people who are actually showing, you know, possible symptoms of the virus. So that might not be the best sample. But the bottom line is a lot of people are walking around with this, it seems like.
0: Yeah. And what I've learned is that I might actually be a hypochondriac. (laughs) Because I have convinced myself in the last five days that I have every oh, symptom well, you can possibly well, have.
1: I wake up and like, <laughs> oh my! Do I do I have a headache? <laughs> like, or, uh, I feel like man, my chest like, hurts a little I bit. A I think I think yeah. Yeah, I'm breathing in and I I sort of feel it in my lungs like that's not good. Like yeah. what I have been doing that exact same thing for like a week now. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people have. It's it's it's. A scary time. Uh, yeah. Not necessarily for people like us, but for people who are more vulnerable to this, you know, we're, we're yeah. some of the lucky ones, I guess.
0: And it's, you know, the the more knowledge you have about it, the more prepared you can feel, but also the more absolutely crippled you can feel by the reality that there's like nothing you can do really. <laughs> I mean, yes, stay in your home and hopefully that's helpful, but we have no idea. What to expect. So yeah, every, every day, every time I read about somebody who has it and is tested positive and what their symptoms were, I'm more and more convinced that I have all of them. And, uh, you know, I don't know how because I've been in my house pretty much by myself most of the last two weeks. So uh, whatever it is, look, it's, it's drawing out a lot of people's fears and insecurities because of the lack of control. And hopefully we can learn some things about you know, the, the small condensed world around us without sports and other common activities that don't involve just like how terrified we are of our own frailties.
1: (laughs) Here's a, uh, very random thing I learned about myself during all of this. Uh, I think it was last Thursday after work because we hadn't been sent home from work yet. And I went to the corner store near where I live because I figured, like, the corner store more so than, like, you know, the big grocery stores would, um, one, have fewer people. And, two, might have more stuff because they're not, they're perhaps not the first place people would go to to, like, clean out. Uh, And that proved to be the case. Like, And also, it's just nice to help out the corner stores, you know, because those are often... You know, yep. more often locally owned or, you know, family owned. And that was the case. It was uh, packed. And, you know, I'm not someone who is hoarding stuff or feels a need to go ahead and, like, you know, set myself up for survival for, you know, for a year with a year's worth of goods. But I went in there and I bought this bag of tortilla chips. And very big on the bag it said like corn tortilla chips with sea salt and I don't know what it is but there's something about sea salt that I've always convinced myself is better than regular salt uh I, I'm sure this is at some in some boardroom at some point they They, you know, like these different marketing gimmicks said like, you (laughs) know, oh, just tell people sea salt, like, and I'm sure it is sea salt, but like, if you tell people it's sea salt, they will in their heads think that this product, whether it's like Triscuits or tortilla chips or whatever, if you tell them it's sea salt, that's superior to like salt from like salt mines or whatever. I am totally susceptible to this. I realize that like, <laughs> I, whatever it is in my head, I think sea salt is better than regular salt. I have done no research on this and I'm not going to because now I, I almost don't want to know. But it, do you think that one, do you do that? Do you, when you see something with sea salt, do you assume that's better than regular salt and if so why is it like because it's from the ocean so it's like fresher is that like what's is that why i'm just a stooge to these marketing gimmicks (laughs) uh, that i've convinced myself
0: i honestly don't know if i've like consciously
1: thought
0: about the difference let me ask you this
1: if you're ever on like say like a boardwalk somewhere and you see like saltwater taffy sold here would that catch your eye more than just taffy so like first off i'm not buying taffy regardless i guess (laughs) but would would the but if you were would the first one
0: okay so here's i don't know if that would make a difference for me but here's how i think about this because I have in the past gotten very into, you remember the show Cupcake Wars? That was a big deal for a while on the Food Network. I don't know. I, I know of it.
1: it. I um, uh, I think there is even a place in de- like would they go yeah, to different? Yep, cup- there yeah, yeah, is. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. So I got really into that show and decided I was going to learn how to make cupcakes, and I got pretty good at it. To like you know pat myself on the back, but one of the things that you d- will see with desserts is a lot of desserts will have like caramel and sea salt. Mm-hmm. Or something to that effect. It sounds okay, delicious. Okay. So, to me. Sea salt, but yeah. here's the thing the difference in sea salt is that they're, they're <laughs> you can actually see it. Like the uh, crystals are bigger than mm. like a, you know, table salt. Okay. So, to me, I'm a very visual person anyway. And the difference is always. It's a bigger crystal that you can actually see, so it's used for decorative purposes as much as the actual salt flavor. So in my mind, when I see something with sea salt, it's more of a visual difference than the actual taste difference or the chemical difference in what is or isn't different between the two. So that's how I... As soon as you started talking about that, my immediate thought is like, what's the picture look like on the bag? Because I assume that when it's sea salt, it's, you know, the larger, more visible crystals of the salt, which is as much a cosmetic change as it is a flavor change.
1: Okay. But if, if you could choose between two bags of potato chips and one was made with mm-hmm. potatoes, uh, vegetable oil... And salt and the other one was yeah. made with potatoes vegetable oils and sea salt does the the latter appeal to you more or do you not care
0: i don't think it really makes a difference to me
1: oh huh. yeah I, I mean it shouldn't to <laughs> me either it's clearly like not it's like you know like budweiser with like beechwood aged uh oh right. beechwood aged yeah. this this beer <laughs> is aged with beechwood that's that's something uh
0: You are who all of those commercials are designed for.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. like No one wants to be uh, like an idiot to like the brands and marketing, but I guess uh, I'm the one falling for this stuff.
0: the important thing is, did you enjoy the sea salt chips or whatever they were?
1: Yeah, they're really good. Okay. Well, well, there you go. It's all
0: all that really matters. Really Um, good. Here's a random thing that I've discovered about myself. Um, So, I don't know if everyone does this, but I listen to podcasts with an app that lets me change the speed, the playback speed. No,
1: so sorry for interrupting, but I don't do that. I know if people do that, do do that. And even though it has no impact on me, it almost makes me angry knowing people are listening (laughs) to podcasts that way. But go ahead.
0: Okay. So which is funny that you reacted that way because someone the other day I posted a video, I think, of my dog or something, because what else am I going to do while I'm not working and also not leaving my house? Um And in the background, you could hear the podcast I was listening to. And someone asked me basically how fast that was, if it was like one and a half times or or two times the normal speed. And what I've discovered is when I first started doing that, I had a really hard time concentrating quickly enough to like pay attention and catch everything in a podcast. But the particular podcast app that I like to use, shout out to Overcast, lets you change it at like 0.5 increments. And so over time, evidently, I have like trained my brain to listen faster. (laughs) And now when I hear anything that's less than one and a half times speed, I'm like, why are these people talking so slow? And I think that's probably a bad thing for my brain that moves too quickly anyway. But that is what I've discovered about myself is that I have over time trained my brain to listen to things in double speed. And I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing at this point. But that's what's happened.
1: (laughs) All right. So on on one level, I get it because there's so many podcasts out there, and if you're like me, you subscribe to a lot, and you don't have enough time in your day to get through all of them. And sometimes you end up, you know, just deleting episodes um, just because there's so many. But let me ask you this: like, would you watch a television show, uh, sped up?
0: Um, (laughs) probably not. But I have watched. YouTube videos sped up, but primarily when they're like how to, or like totally information based. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not storyline based.
1: There's certainly some podcasts I listen to. Like there is this BBC news hour podcast I listen to where it's strictly news where I guess you don't really care about the characters who are delivering the information as much as you care about the information itself. So in that case, I could I guess I could see speeding that up. Yeah. But a lot of the podcasts I listen to, even the ones where I'm just trying to get information, whether it's about baseball or whatnot, part of it is also is just like listening to the the people talking and sure. like the yeah. uh, whether it's two people, like maybe the rapport they have with each other or 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 whatever. So. That's why it's very – I think it would be very hard for me to listen to a podcast that way. In the same way, it would be very hard for me to like, I don't know, watch an episode of Cheers at like one and a half speed or something. (laughs) I mean, yeah, get through it quicker. But I don't think I would get the same satisfaction I was supposed to be getting from it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's quite possible that I don't. I just (laughs) somehow – I, uh, I started doing that because of the time that it was saving so that I could listen to more things. And now I'm just, I, that's automatic at so, this point. And anything else sounds so slow. <laughs> so we
1: have a podcast and yeah. you're the one who usually does the, like the send off and the introduction. And when, at what point did everyone who has a podcast start saying, or wherever you get your podcast? Like, because that's such, of course, wherever you get your, like, where else? (laughs) Well,
0: so that's a fair question. That's a good question. But so for a while, it was like Apple Podcasts and, uh, you know, like two other sources Mm -hmm. where you could download podcasts. And now there are like 17 of them. So people listen to podcasts on so many different platforms that I think
1: Do I guess I didn't know that. They do, and I
0: know they do because when we started this podcast, I started asking people where they listen to podcasts because you have to make sure that the feed is connected to wherever you upload it to so that it actually gets delivered to those platforms. Um, So I know that a lot of people listen to, and there's still, Apple Podcasts is still one of the bigger ones. Um, A lot of people use a, a select few sites, but there are... A bunch of them out there anymore, so I think that's where it started. But you're—it's right. kind of like telling people who are already listening to the podcast to subscribe to the podcast, and you're like, "Well, they're already listening, so odds are they found it because they already know about the podcast." Think, oh,
1: wherever you get your podcast, oh, so I, I shouldn't be searching for this podcast on my AM radio, <laughs> right? Or yeah, on yeah. my uh, in the <laughs> back of my car's trunk, or you know, or something. Okay, I oh. will. I will look for it with
0: yeah yeah look for it in the podcast section and not the uh you know <laughs> music section or something anyway yeah no it's a fair point it's a fair point point. and I think another fair point is that it's been a week and we're already losing our minds so maybe we have like one more week left to talk about baseball I would normally earlier in the show have asked you if baseball season had started uh, yet baseball
1: season has absolutely not started <laughs> and it might not ever start again
0: uh, and we're joking uh, about oh, that. Oh, but-
1: and, and I have another comment to make on that. Oh, you okay. know how you've heard a lot of people say this week, like, oh, well, here actually are, are all the things that aren't necessary that we're finding out during all of this. Right. Yes. Um, you're going to disagree with this, but I'm going to go ahead and add spring training to the mix. Because <laughs> if uh, if baseball ever does get started, we're going to have maybe like two minutes of more spring training and then the season's going to start. Now granted but, that's not that's not the ideal way to yeah. to to do it of course but <laughs> maybe I, we'll
0: find out how important spring training is when they don't have a full spring training th- that's Who knows?
1: true I wish I could remember back to 1995 a little bit better uh, because that was <laughs> a shortened season following the the strike of 94 that carried over mm-hmm. into the and I think there was I almost want to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the strike turned into a lockout, but that might be a very dumb thing I just said. Well, whatever it was. It was a shortened season going into 1995. Yeah. They finally came to some sort of agreement. had a 144-game season, so they had to hurry hurry things up. I don't quite remember when the season... I'm going to look that up right now. When the actual, okay. I'm going to look up when the Cardinals played their first game in '95. My okay. guess is it was closer to the end of April, but let me... So that's start.
0: obviously... A relevant question for this year because the date keeps moving Uh Uh, initially it was hopefully april 9th i think and then it became well we don't really know it might be in you know may maybe memorial day might actually be june 1st now people are tossing around july as an option and it just keeps getting that the problem is as with everything right now they're just no one knows. No one knows what's going to happen. No one knows how long it's going to last. No one knows how bad it's going to get. And a lot of that depends on the willing participation of everyone in this country to play along. And we just, even then, don't know what it's going to look like. So I think everyone has stopped sort of throwing dates around because they realized very quickly, we actually have no basis for giving any sort of start date. But that is one thing that is it looks like even if we're making that comparison to the previous shortened season, April's out of the question.
1: Oh, I I think absolutely. And I, I just looked this up and the Cardinals played their first game on April 26th in 1985. Okay. So almost a, a, a monthly. And then they squeezed in 144 games basically into five months. Um, still the all-star game that year, if I recall, almost which is
0: interesting to think about, right? We were talking about this a little bit today. And it's kind of where we want to go with the rest of this podcast in that if they are able to start this season in June, let's say, what what is what does the schedule look like at that point? Right. Because I don't think you can just, you know, if it was going to be just a couple of weeks. Right. There was some idea that maybe you just pick up the season where it is, try to tack on those games somewhere else. And there you go. At this point, they're not going to be able to do that They're going to likely have to start talking about a shortened season which if you don't start till june i can't imagine you want the all-star break where it is in relation to all of that so do you even have the all-star break or do you just play through that to try to save some games i mean the scheduling gets really complicated if you lose the first you know two plus months of the season and you're talking about how to squeeze a bunch of games into an even shorter timeline And there are so many. I have so many questions about this, Alex. As far as like how you go about rescheduling those things, and I mean, I feel like you kind of have to eliminate interleague play altogether and make the divisional games the priority, right? To start with,
1: eliminate interleague play. So something good will come out of this. uh, (laughs) So it seems to be a big deal when a city, a team gets awarded an All Star game, right? I remember when the Nats got theirs, and you know, it was a pretty big deal around here. So I. I think it would be, t- and I don't think you can just like take away an All Star game and then just like push everyone back a year. My guess is like there's already certain planning going on, right? Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm totally talking uh, well, with no authority here on this, and I haven't, you know, I haven't read anything that talks about this, but I, th- I'd be shocked if they got rid of an All Star game because of that. That said, if a season's beginning in June. I mean, when when are you having the all-star break? Right. Yeah, it's, it's just... I, I hate to even ask this, but at what point do you just ax the entire season? Like, like what's the minimum yeah. amount of games you can play where it still feels real? Because, you know, I could... Obviously, we would all prefer 162. Uh, that's, to me, the perfect amount of baseball games. Uh, anything less than that is uh, not as great. But, you know, 144, you know, they certainly worked. It's not It's not the best, but that's certainly, you know, not the worst thing in the world either. I could even live with 120. Uh, you start to get below triple digits. And then I think you really have to be, I don't know, almost radical with the way you do your scheduling and the way you do the playoffs, because I don't want to see an 80, you know, game season and then like a playoff right. with 10 teams like we have now. That to me just does not feel like Baseball that the baseball I know and love that almost harkens yeah. back to our conversation we had a couple we had a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago when they talked about these new uh, potential changes with you know additional teams in the playoffs. But I don't know if if we're talking about a season with fewer than 100 games, I would almost only want to see like a playoff with like four teams. You know they're not they're not going to do that. I so I, I really don't know. This is just this is going to be very very interesting
0: yeah it's really strange and of course there are lots of layers to how those decisions are made right with the contracts involved with a, a number of different people and places and events and you know all that but there's the players union involved in making those decisions and some concessions as far as what games will be played and and how those things work and I mean, a lot of it will come will impact things like service time and, you know, whether guys who have in their contracts, if you play in so many games, this bonus kicks in, those kinds of things are all going to have to be reworked based on the number of games played, right? Or at least I would think. So it gets very complicated when you start cutting games off the schedule. But if we're talking about potentially starting in June, you have to cut games off the schedule. There just aren't enough days to make that happen. and. Yeah, you asked the same question that I've been been thinking over and over is it, you know, at what point does it not feel like a baseball season anymore and it feels kind of like a lost year and then it would feel very strange to me to crown a World Series champion based on like half a season. If the so,
1: Cardinals were to win a World Series after let's say a 102 game season, would it feel like a complete W- would you bask in the glow like yeah. uh, as as two thousand six, two thousand eleven? Would it feel the same? I feel like it wouldn't, but
0: yeah, I don't know. I- I feel M- like maybe by the time we got although... there,
1: we would already would have forgotten about it all yeah, and not really cared. True. You know, and the playoffs were such a different animal, anyway.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it too would depend on how the season played out. I mean, if you've got a bunch of really tight divisional races, and all of a sudden someone misses the postseason by one game and they were in the mix all along you think okay what would have happened if there were another 20 games that had to be played right what would happen if there were especially if there's an injury along the way and they're without a guy who would have been back by the time you know it just it's it it suddenly becomes a massive and endless game of what ifs i think for me in thinking about the season and i don't even have like a good analytical reason for this it's just when i when i think about what could happen, what's been said. When I think about, you know, if they can play X number of games, it'll at least feel like they completed a season, even if it's shortened. I don't think you can go under a hundred games because then you're just losing so much of what it is that makes baseball different. And I know there'll be people out there who are like, why do you need a hundred games to determine who should go to the playoffs anyway? But that's, it's, because that's how baseball is that's the way that it is set up and designed and it's you know a long season for a reason so that you get to the end and you feel like you've you're in the position that you're in because of the entire body of work not just because of you know a a good month or whatever it is and obviously those things all happen but i don't know if if less than 100 games is ever going to feel like it was I don't want to say like it was worth it because on the flip side of that, it, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, if they can't get in a hundred games, do I want to just have no baseball all summer? Because that's the alternative, and I don't feel great about that either. But man, the scheduling is just going to be so difficult to get the games in. But if it's under a hundred. I don't know. Uh, to me it, it's it's not going to feel I'm not going to feel good about it <laughs> as far as looking back on this season and thinking that it's a complete story.
1: Yeah, th- so we should talk to a Dodgers fan who was alive in 1981 or remembers <laughs> 1981 because they won the World Series on a 102 game season and I mean that that how did that work? Like did the stri- the strike in that situation actually happened in June, right? I'm trying to remember that. Uh, Let me, I I should know this, but I feel like that happened in June. Um, All right. uh, uh, Strike began on June 12th and uh, the two sides reached an agreement on July 31st and play resumed on August 9th with the all-star game. Okay. On all-star game with the, okay. So the all-star game was on August 9th and then, the season started the day after that. You can almost argue that's more of an interruption. Uh, In fact, it absolutely is more of an interruption than if you at least have a continuous season, even if it starts much later, Uh, because that's pretty like, man, that's, we don't talk about the 1981 season. We really don't. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, just in the middle of the year to stop playing and then to start again, almost two months later, and uh just basically pick up where you left off you know 1994 was nuts but it didn't you know it didn't start again we kind of knew it was over when when the players went on strike or at least we did yeah. uh i don't remember how long it took for them to announce that yeah they definitely wouldn't be playing anymore but this yeah that 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 is that is wild <laughs> so who knows maybe maybe I'm uh, overestimating how much we would really care if, if the season was cut down to almost a hundred games. Uh, I, I, there's a very good chance by the time October rolled around we would have forgotten a lot about it.
0: Yeah. And there's also a good chance that by the time June rolls around, we're going to be like, I don't care how many games you play, just please play some baseball.
1: Yeah. Well, th- so <laughs> that reminds me of a question I was thinking about earlier. Do you think let's say, you know, CDC, WHO comes out and says, okay, you know, it's finally safe to basically go outside and be amongst large groups of people. And then, so, you know, sports start again, uh, the baseball season begins. Do you think this will affect attendance? Do you think this will spook people from Mm -hmm. being around large crowds? Or do you think people will, or do you think it'll have the opposite effect where people have been cooped up for so long? They'll be like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to go to a baseball game and be around 45,000 other people who are, you know, not washing their hands and probably have a <laughs> lot of germs.
0: Yeah, that's a good question because I think the my immediate response was that people are going to be so glad that there's some normalcy back, that they'll want to be there. But I think all of that is so dependent on what happens in the next few weeks, right? Like how bad this really gets and if these preventative measures keep it from getting to the point that we've all heard over and over again, it could get to. So it's a little hard to say at this point what the reaction would be at that point because right now I think we're all in a position where we're just like, I just want there to be baseball. (laughs) So just find a way to give it to us. But I also wonder if there will be a push to maybe start the season in June, but without fans, just to kind of continue the precaution and not take any chances. And and that would be strange too, because then it would be, I don't know. We'd be sort of be back to that thing where it's like, it's weird to watch baseball without a crowd there. Mm -hmm. And obviously these teams are not going to want to lose any more financially than they are already going to lose. But will there still be some of those precautionary measures in place even after things are somewhat under control? I don't know. I don't know how quickly – because that's the thing, right? I don't know how quickly life's just going to snap back to normal or if it's going to be more of a gradual, okay, you can have this back. Okay, you can do this now. Okay, but you still can't do those things until we're we're really sure that we know uh, what we're up against uh, or, or what we've managed. So I don't know. I, I wouldn't be super surprised if the season was able to start before fans were able to be in the stadiums. But I don't know if that would be the entire 2020 season, however shortened it is. Or can you imagine like no fans anywhere <laughs> until the postseason? And then all of a sudden, like 10 fan bases get to participate in baseball again?
1: <laughs> right. I-, I was just trying in my head to imagine a postseason without fans uh, because you can, ma- I can sort of picture just a regular season game without fans, uh, and maybe you'd even get used to it. But the postseason, I mean, you really need the that home crowd there. You you really need like, especially when a team wins or when they whether they clinch the pennant or win the World Series, you really need and they, you know, run out in the field and, you know, pile on top of each other. Doing that in a completely empty stadium would be the most bizarre thing in the world. And not that I don't think not that I think that's going to happen I mean hopefully you know I mean I hope for all of our sakes that by the time that rolls around we will be able to be in in sports stadiums again yeah but
0: you know Adam Wainwright tweeted something after all of the spring training facilities were closed it was something to the effect of yeah we want to play baseball because we love baseball but we're also entertainers and we want to be able to entertain our audience and it would be very weird, I'm sure, for guys like that who've been around as long as they have to go back into game situations without an audience to entertain. Now, I would imagine there would be, you know, a television audience, but that's a totally different. Yeah, not the
1: same at all. Like, I'm sure you can think of examples like this, but I've, I've run a lot of races. uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, believe me, I'm not at all trying to put myself on a level of like an actual professional athlete but when you run like a race you get an extra adrenaline from people who you don't even oh, know Oh totally. Yeah, yeah, who are who are just watching Complete you cheering yeah tearing yeah you clapping are, yeah. you know that would give you an extra adrenaline to finish like yeah. a half marathon that you would not have had had you just been running by yourself uh you know with no one around. Uh so yeah. I I bet the players feel the same way you would have to of course they like playing in front of crowds versus versus not playing in front of crowds so i don't man this is all just so weird and it's gonna be so interesting to see if like everything's gonna be everything how we know is gonna be totally different once we emerge from all of this and like like the way we think of sports and think about like culture and how we're how we're so used to being able to be in large crowds that if it's going to be a bit different from here on out. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to know. And it's I think one of the most overwhelming things about all of this is thinking about all of those unknowns and not knowing what it's going to be like on the other side of this and not knowing how long it's going to be before we get there. But for the glass half full folks out there, I can already imagine how exciting it's going to be when there is baseball back, just from the perspective of, you know, it's kind of like you don't know what you have until it's gone. And all of a sudden we're going to be like, okay, yes, we survived the whole off season. And that was pretty dramatic and crazy in its own right. But we almost didn't have baseball at all. So if we get baseball this season, <laughs> even if it's a a weird version of it, I am already looking forward to that sort of relief of, like I was saying, some sort of return to normalcy and, the, the simple things that we just get to enjoy in life that aren't about anything more complicated than that as much as we sometimes overcomplicate it. So I don't know. I, I, it's such a weird thing to consider. And I think I said this last week too. I'm glad I'm not the one making the decisions, but this scheduling thing, man, I don't know how many versions of a schedule they're going to have to create before they can solidify a timeline and that's what's so hard right now is that they can't even work on creating a new schedule because they have no idea when the season's going to be when they're going to be able to start the season and honestly the same thing let's not ignore that that's the same thing happening for every single minor league team in this country as well trying to figure out not only how to plan their schedule but how to work around sometimes already complicated travel, which we've heard a lot about in the last several months and guys that may or may not realistically be able to come back after this layoff. If they aren't able to financially support themselves in the meantime, I mean, there's so many layers to that, that it's just such an unprecedented situation where you've got staffs of teams working over time trying to prepare so many different scenarios that, man, I just can't imagine the pressure on all of those people to come up with something that may or may not happen at all.
1: With regard to this schedule, that's all now just done by computer, right? Like, or some sort of program where you just kind of, I would it, how assume, but I don't actually element? know. <laughs> I think back in the day, if I recall, there was like, uh, an old man and his wife who like lived in Brooklyn who did this ske- get who did like the MLB schedule every year that's amazing <laughs> yeah I'm almost positive that's true uh keyword there is keywords there are almost positive <laughs> uh but at some point obviously they moved over I think to some sort of just computer generated <laughs> program where you just type in the dates the amount of games the teams and then voila you have a you have a schedule so Hopefully it's adaptable to a situation like this. I would hope they would also focus on division games because if they want to squeeze in a lot of games in a short amount of time. You don't want a ton of travel and stuff like that. So I don't know. This is going to be one of those things where I, I, I mean, I hope it's an outlier, Um, but I, I, you know, I think it's going to be one of those things where you'll look back like The next, the generation after us will look back. I guess almanacs aren't really a thing anymore. Whatever, like on the internet, like you're looking at Baseball Reference, and this year is going to look crazy.
0: Yeah, I wonder what it does to any sort of records. Or, I mean, obviously, you're not going to have guys who achieve the same. Stat lines. The guy bats as you would in 162 four hundred. No one's going right. to bat four
1: hundred in a, even in like a hundred game season. But let's right. say they did. Would we care? Yeah, we wouldn't. I give mean, them how do you compare credit. that? Yeah, we wouldn't give them the same credit as uh, as we would have for a hundred sixty two game season. Of course, yeah. But like it would always be like, yeah, you bet at four hundred, but kind of, you know. Did you? Yeah, did but you doesn't really? count. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, and that will come into play for guys who are in contract years, right? Like if they, if they put up a uh, a season that is impressive in a smaller sample size, mm-hmm. but maybe isn't like, how do you, how do you work all those details out? Like I said, service time and things of that nature that are going to be all dependent on in many cases, how many games are played. But a lot of those things are about how many days you're on a major league roster. Not necessarily how many games you play in. Well, if you're, season is so condensed and you're playing a bunch of double headers or you're you don't have as many off days or whatever it is you're not going to be on the roster for as many days but perhaps you actually play more than you would have otherwise i don't know it just there are a lot of moving parts and they keep moving and the target keeps moving and i can't imagine the headache of trying to sort through all those details
1: do you think we get our not our money back, but any sort of rebate on our MLB uh TV uh <laughs> purchases and, you know, radio and stuff like that.
0: I would almost feel like they'll have to
1: If they cancel this season, they absolutely have to, right? Yeah. I feel like if yeah. they don't and there's still only like a hundred game season, they'll be like, What? What are you talking about? There's
0: <laughs> you, this is baseball, you got the whole season. <laughs> yeah. It was shorter than normal, but it was the whole season. Uh they should just yeah. Uh, eliminate the the blackout policies uh, if they uh, aren't allowing fans yeah. in stadiums.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a very good point. I guess these aren't the biggest concerns with all that's going no, on. No, they're not. Now, but but this,
0: these are the things we have to yeah. think about. We have a lot of time to think about them. We have a lot of weeks of podcasts to fill without <laughs> baseball content. So if there are things you want us to talk about, if you want to hear more about, <laughs> If you want to be Whether a guest, you email to email us, we'll have you then, on. Yeah, yeah, you know what? D- do that. We should, we should set up a voicemail, and people can call and leave us voicemails, and we'll play them on the show. It's a thing we should do that I thought of just now, and I'm going to say it
1: I like that, on I like the show, that. and
0: we, then I'll we'll have to do it. Do
1: we have a phone number?
0: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how any of these things work, <laughs> but we, I've got nothing but time, so... <laughs> uh we'll try to figure that out maybe we'll have a guest next week we'll try to figure out a a voicemail number that you can call and leave us voicemails or you can just you know shoot us a dm on twitter and be like hey i'm a fan and i want to be on the show we'll see what we can do um alex that's all i have at this point do you have anything else to add to this discussion and if not is there a chirp of the week
1: there is um given what's going on i went back and i've been reading a lot about the flu from 1918 the i guess the 1918 flu or uh, spanish flu uh whatever you want to call it uh, just because i think like a lot of people i am have a new interest in this stuff and i'm curious about a lot of this stuff and that led me to wonder what effect this had on baseball, because I knew they had a baseball season that year, right? Because we knew the uh, Red Sox won the World Series in 1918, because when they won the World Series in 2004, uh, as we heard over and over again, they had not won the World Series since <laughs> 1918. And found this interesting article on baseballhall.org uh, called the 1918 Flu Pandemic and how it did not spare baseball. And I'll just read you a few parts. Um, Influenza casualties during this deadly year included Boston Globe sports writer, Eddie Martin, the secretary of the local chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America and one of the official scorers in the 1918 World Series. Um, Also Philadelphia-based baseball writer, Chandler Richter, son of the Sporting Life editor, Francis S. Richter, and former Federal League umpire, J.J. McNulty. Among ballplayers, Often recently active, the flu took Cy Swain, a minor leaguer from 1904 to 1914, who slugged 39 home runs in 1913. Uh, Larry Chappell, who was a big league outfielder for the White Sox, Indians, and Boston Braves between 1913 and 1917. Catcher Leo McGraw, a minor leaguer between 1910 and 1916. Catcher Harry Glenn, a minor leaguer from 1910 to 1918, who spent time with the 1915 Cardinals. Uh, minor leaguer Dave Roth, who who played between 1912 and 1916, and minor league pitcher Harry Acton, who played in 1917. And the casualties also included uh, famous umpire Silk O'Laughlin, uh, And I'm going to talk about him in a second. But first, I want to return to Harry Glenn, who was uh, the minor leaguer from 1910 to 1918, but who also had a cup of coffee with the Cardinals. Uh, that was in 1915. Uh, his name is Harry Glenn, nicknamed Husky, and in 1915, he had 19 plate appearances as a catcher with the Cardinals. Uh, beside that, he spent most of his time in the minors with the St. Saint Paul Saints. Uh, if you're familiar with the band The Hold Steady, you've heard the St. Saint Paul Saints uh, before. Um, mm-hmm. But in uh, he went to war, as a lot of these people did, in 1918, and at some point during that time, he contract he got the flu and he he died um as for umpire silk uh o'laughlin he might have been actually the most famous of these people who uh who who, who died and was involved in baseball and died from the flu even though he was just an umpire he was a very famous umpire he umpired a record 10 no hitters during his brief career uh, seven of those he was behind the plate and uh the record 10 no hitters was not broken until uh, 2001 He became the last Major League umpire to work a no-hitter single-handedly when he he called Smokey Joe Woods Jim. Uh, That's a wonderful name. Silk was the first umpire to eject Ty Cobb from a Major League game. The year was 1908, Cobb's fourth season in the Majors. Um, The early part of the 1912 season, and now I'm reading from Wikipedia, was particularly eventful for O'Loughlin on... May 11th, 1912, Silk was the target of glass bottles thrown by fans of the beleaguered New York Highlanders. O'Laughlin wow. angered fans by ejecting catcher Gabby Street, pitcher Jack Quinn, and manager Harry Wolverton for arguing balls and strikes. Just four days later, O'Laughlin ejected Ty Cobb after the slugger severely beat a disabled man. That's that story that. W- awful story that we've all heard before or most of us have heard before a disabled fan who was thought to have thrown a racial slur at Cobb uh I don't know what that would have been but that's what it says here um and the incident raised concerns about player protection from heckling fans and it nearly persist a player strike uh so there you go um That's what that's, I guess, the impact that the 1918 flu had on baseball. We have yet to see what this one, uh, what impact this one will have on baseball, um, other than the fact that we know we're going to have a shortened season. But that is your chirp of the week. Uh, do you have any, do you have anything to add or do, do you? you do you have any memory of the 1994 strike or 1995 season? Is this going to be your first (laughs) baseball season where it's a short? Yeah. So like, it's weird thinking about 1994 because I almost didn't care because the Cardinals were bad. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You you know, it it just, you know, and I was also like, you know, I think that was at a time where I was probably a bigger NBA fan than I was a baseball fan, even though I was still Mm. a big Mm -hmm. baseball fan, but yeah, the Cardinals were lousy and yeah, I really didn't care. Uh, I mean, I wasn't happy about it. It wasn't great, but it didn't seem like the end of the world. Like it would now that would seem like a very huge deal. And I, I just started thinking earlier, imagine if all this was going down on October 1st and Mm. they would have had to cancel the entire playoffs. Um, you know, cancel the world series, uh, it would have played out exactly like we saw all these other things play out, like the NCAA tournament, right? right? Where yeah. first like, oh, well, you know, they're going to limit the amount of fans in the stadium. There's going to be no press in the, you know, in the locker rooms after the game. And then it would have been, oh, actually there's going to be no fans at all. And then it's going to be actually the whole thing is canceled. And which, of course, they would have had to drag the owners and baseball kicking and screaming to that decision. Mm-hmm. But we know that decision mm-hmm. would have been made. I mean, if they're canceling the NCAA tournament, They would have had to do the same here. And how awful would that have been?
0: Yeah. Baseball got kind of lucky in that the season hadn't started yet. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, we talked about it a little bit after the decision was made last week that this was really the almost best case scenario that baseball could shut it down before spring training ended before the regular season started, try to save as much of the regular season as they could and you know that all still rings true i I just don't know that at the time we realized how much of the regular season was likely going to be lost and how they're going to have to do some gymnastics alongside their baseball to uh to figure out how to get enough of the season in that's for sure
1: right no absolutely I, i think the 1994 thing too and uh I could be wrong on this, but I feel like that's when everyone realized, oh, baseball is no longer the national sport that it once was. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if this would have been football, it would have been like considered such a horrific, horrible thing that, like, oh my gosh, they're not having a Super Bowl. Like, how is that even possible? But I think. You know, I, I feel like that was like the realization by a lot of people that baseball is not quite what it used to be, that they were able to have this happen and people just kind of moved on. Uh, I, I mean, Expos fans might feel differently because, you know, they were in first place and, you know, they hadn't made the playoffs in a very, very long time and wouldn't ever again. So maybe an Expos fan will tell me I'm wrong, but <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't know. Uh, one thing I do know is that. The minor leaguers dealing with this layoff are up against it a lot more than the major leaguers are, as is always the story. And we just released a special line of merch over at birdsontheblack.com. You can check that out. And a hundred percent of the proceeds of anything with that logo on it will go to more than baseball, which I've talked about before. We've had a couple people either on this show or other shows talking about what more than baseball does, and they have a fundraiser going right now to help mitigate some of the cost of these players who haven't gotten a paycheck since August and aren't going to get one for who knows how long at this point, the Cardinals did announce today that they will still continue to pay the per diem for their minor league players, which is great, but it's like less than $700 a week max. And that's not going to help a whole lot. Sorry, less than $700 a month. i not a week less. They're getting $25 a day you do the math. And I think it's only like a six-day week. That's normally how those things work out. So they're getting maybe $25 a day from the team, which is great, but it's not enough to survive on for the, an extended period of time, especially when many of them have families. So that's where these fundraisers and these programs and all these grassroots things that fans are doing to cover for the major league organizations that aren't doing what they should, that's where they come in. And as always, you know, at Birds on the Black, we always Talk a lot about the minor league players and care a lot about their journey to whatever it is that is the end goal for them. And this is a small little way that we can help with that. And honestly, I got to shout out Cardinals Gifts. As always, the logo is pretty great. It's a nod to the minor league baseball logo as well as to like old baseball cards, which I just think it's really cool. It looks awesome on all the all the swag over at the shop. So make sure you check it out. That is my That is my plug for the merch. Alex, anything else?
1: No, just uh, check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
0: (laughs) Wherever you get your podcasts, listen to this one. Share it with a friend because you know they're going to need something to listen to in the next few weeks. So, you know, why not have them listen to us? Anyway, you can follow us on Twitter. As always, I'm at Tara Wellman. He's at AlexCard79. Birds on the Black is on Twitter at Birds on the Black and you can keep up with all of us and all the work from everyone there as well. That'll do it. Thanks for listening. I'm Tara. He's Alex. We'll talk to you next time.